Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the History Mysteries Podcast. I'm your host, Lily Brown, and in this podcast we talk about strange and creepy occurrences throughout history. If you like true crime, ghosts, or all-around weird things, this is the podcast for you. Today we are talking about the still-unsolved Bob Crane murder. was born in Waterbury, Connecticut, and spent his childhood years in Stanford. Crane began playing drums, and by junior high, he was organizing local drum and bugle parades with his neighborhood friends. He joined his high school's orchestra and its marching and jazz bands. Crane also played for the Connecticut and Norwalk Symphony Orchestras as part of their youth orchestra program. He graduated from Stanford High School in 1946, and in 1948, he enlisted for two years in the Connecticut Army National Guard and was honorably discharged in 1950. In 1949, Crane married his high school sweetheart, and they had three children, Robert David, Deborah Ann, and Karen Leslie. his career as a radio personality, first in New York City and then in Connecticut. Upon moving to Los Angeles, he hosted the number one rated morning show. In the early 1960s, Crane moved into acting, eventually landing the lead role of Colonel Robert Hogan in Hogan's Heroes. Crane was living at the Winfield Place Apartments in Scottsdale during the run of Beginner's Luck at Windmill Dinner Theater. On the afternoon of June 29th, Crane's co-star Victoria Ann Barry entered his apartment after he failed to show up for a lunch meeting and discovered his body. Crane had been bludgeoned with a weapon that was never identified, and an electrical cord had been tied around his neck. Investigators believed that the weapon used to kill Bob Crane was a camera tripod. The Scottsdale Police Department, which was small at the time, had no homicide division and was ill-equipped to handle such high-profile murder investigations. The crime yielded few clues, no evidence of forced entry was found, and nothing of financial value was missing. Detectives examined Crane's extensive videotape collection, which led him to Carpenter, who had flown to Phoenix on June 25th to spend a few days with Crane. Carpenter's rental car was impounded in search. Several blood smears were found that matched Crane's blood type. No one else known to to have been in the car, including carpenters, tested for that type. DNA testing was not yet available. With no other significant material evidence, the Maricopa County attorney declined to file charges. In 1990, Scottsdale Police Detective Barry Vassal and Maricopa County Attorney's Office investigator Jim Raines, a former Phoenix homicide investigator re-examined the evidence from 1978 and persuaded the county to county attorney to reopen the case. 
Although DNA testing of blood found in Carpenter's rental car was inconclusive, Raines discovered an evidence photograph of the car's interior that appeared to show a piece of brain tissue. The actual tissue samples recovered from the car had been lost, but an Arizona judge ruled that the new evidence was admissible. In June 1992, Carpenter was arrested and charged with Crane's murder. trial, Crane's son Robert testified that weeks before his father's death, Crane had repeatedly expressed the desire to sever his friendship with Carpenter and said that Carpenter had become a hanger-on and a nuisance to the point of being obnoxious. My dad expressed that he didn't hear that he didn't need Carpenter kind of hanging around him anymore, he said. Robert testified that Crane had called Carpenter the night before the murder and ended their friendship. Carpenter attorneys attacked the prosecution's case as circumstantial and inconclusive. If you would like to research more on the trial, go ahead and do so. I'm not going to cover everything here. November of 2016, the Maricopa County Attorney's Office permitted Phoenix television reporter John Hook to submit 1978 blood samples from Carpenter's Renault car for retesting. Using a more advanced DNA technique than the one used in 1990, two sequences were identified, one from an unknown male and the other to degrade to reach conclusion. This testing consumed all of the remaining DNA from the rental car, making further tests impossible. Thank you for listening to the History Mysteries Podcast. I am your host, Lily Brown, and until next time, see you later.